In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome in to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Well, Jesse, we got the uh, first day of pa- uh, Badgers practice. We, of course, will not get to see any uh, practice this fall as uh, Wisconsin's going to close it, obviously, for COVID-19 reasons. So all the interviews and everything like that is also going to be on Zoom. We got the chance to talk with Paul Chris today following the first day of uh, on-field activities. They had to do their two-week break because of the outbreak of uh, positive COVID tests, but they're back. Not all of them are back. Uh, Chris said they're still going to be continuing to work some guys back in uh, and get them back here as we go. But the two major news items from earlier in the day is something that he did talk about. The major news item would be the uh, absence of Reggie Pearson on the roster that came out that was released by Wisconsin. Paul Chris said that they, quote, found something this offseason and that he was not cleared to play. Now, he did not specifically state what that was. Obviously, if you're finding something, it would suggest it's, it's uh, physical and uh, no, no official word on exactly what uh, is going to keep Reggie Pearson off the field. Paul Chris was asked later on if whether Reggie would be able to play at some point, whether he would be you know back at the uh, would be back on the team. And Chris said that he is still in school, but that something would have to change for him to be uh, able to play. That is a big hit, obviously, and we'll, we'll get to the football impacts of it. But just it's a big blow for him, big blow for the kid. Oh, absolutely. And he's already been through a lot since he came here because his first year, for people who remember, he did so well out of fall camp that uh, it looked like he was going to be in the two deep and get significant reps. And then he was dealing with an injury and he only wound up playing in, I believe it was the four games to retain the red shirt. And he got his first start against Michigan. And he had some, he's, to me, he's always been one of the hardest hitters on defense. He just is makes you go, wow, of all the guys that safety, and there's a lot of talent there, which I know we'll talk about. He's the one who probably has the highest upside. I think you would agree. So, yeah, it's it's difficult, no doubt, for him. And he's he played in all 14 games last year. He started 13 games. So he was going to be a centerpiece to the back end of that defense, even though you had Scott Nelson coming back from injury. Yeah, and I don't – and, again, it, it would be – irresponsible on our part to speculate exactly what it is, but it, it sounds like something would have to, as Chris said, to change for him to, to play again at Wisconsin, but at least he is still at the university. He is going to class. Uh, you know, the way that his father on Twitter saying on Wisconsin, like, I don't think there's a, I don't think that there's something like a gulf between Wisconsin and the Pearson family, like that needs to be repaired for that. Like that, don't, there's nothing like that. It feels like Wisconsin supporting them, but it, it does sound like something would have to change for him to come back and be able to be a part of the team at some point. And, and that's a huge, huge hit for Wisconsin. But again, as we talked about in our last episode, safety is as deep of a position as they have on the roster right now. I mean, you think about it, Obviously, Eric Burrell coming back and starting as a senior. You get Scott Nelson back, who played the entire 2018 season as a starter and started game one last year before the knee injury. Uh, Colin Wilder has a ton of experience there as well. So, I mean, you lose, obviously, Reggie Pearson, but they're still pretty good there. Yeah, they are. You mentioned the guys that uh, have the returning experience, and 
Wisconsin is in a great spot because I think going into the, this season, one of the questions would have been, well, how do you make room for all of these guys? And we were talking on the last episode that maybe you have three safeties on the field at one time, but you've got starting experience there. Eric Burrell has developed into one of the, from a coverage standpoint, one of the top safeties in the country, pro football focus rated as the last two years, his coverage grade was among the 10 best in the FBS. And Scott Nelson, I think of all the guys on the back end, he was going to need to be the vocal leader of that group. And I think from what we've seen, he's demonstrated that. I can remember being when we were at the Rose Bowl and we had, what did we get to watch? 15 minutes of practice one day. It wasn't much, but they were doing some drills and Scott wasn't back yet, but he was in the ear of basically every defensive back giving them pointers and, and just doing the small things that you would probably expect a guy to do who learned a lot from Dakota Dixon. So I think Wisconsin's in a good spot there. And then you even have guys like John Torchio, Tyler Mason, Madison Cohn too, who I think sometimes gets lost in the shuffle a bit has playing experience. Now, He's got a lot of experience in the nickel, but that's somebody else that Jim Leonard can throw out there. Uh, and we haven't even mentioned a guy like Titus Toller, who's got um, a lot of talent coming in, who was originally a Colorado commit and flipped and, and obviously redshirted last year. So I think they'll be okay there. But to lose Reggie, that's a big deal. He played 667 snaps last season, which was more than any other guy at the position. Yeah. Uh, another guy that has been talked about quite a bit, but just has never been on the field. Travion Blaylock is also con- still considered at least, at least listed as a safety uh, on, uh, on Wisconsin's roster. So he's there long-term at the position. Obviously, you know, Reggie would have been, I mean, he would have been eligible to go and turn pro after this year uh, as a redshirt sophomore could have probably would not have, but you know, he, he had that opportunity still would have been back next year, but they, they are, uh, would you say stacked at the, uh, you know, the safety spot in the 2021 oh. class coming in, you know what I mean? Like Hunter Wohler, obviously the four-star, and then you get the reclassification of Braylon Allen into the 2021 class. He would be the top-ranked player in Wisconsin in that, in that class. It's the greatest safety combination in history, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> How's that for hyperbole? Well, but, who, knows, who knows if uh, Braylon ends, ends up staying at safety? Uh, sure. You know, he's got the body type to potentially – move to inside linebacker but yeah right now uh that's a that's a pretty good glut it did kill their it did kill their 2022 class though that uh that he left well well, they went from having a four-star prospect to not having any commits in the class but i think wisconsin will take it and they'll probably still be in good position to land most of the in-state guys in 2022 and based on the last three recruiting classes i have a lot of confidence in the staff that they're going to put together a a pretty good group but you're right to have those two four-star guys coming in, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, Wisconsin doesn't get four-star defensive backs, generally speaking. So to get two of them, to have them both be from inside the state, and to have Braylon now reclassify, it, it certainly uh, leaves you optimistic about the future, and they're going to be able, you would think, to replace some of this production that they have because Burrell, Wilder, Cone, all seniors, um, now they could all come back, because this is a free year of eligibility, which is another thing that we haven't really addressed. And I don't know what that's going to look like. They could have over a hundred plus guys who are on scholarship available. If Wisconsin is willing to grant that now, Eric Brell indicated when we talked to him a few weeks ago, that this is probably it for him. He's earning a second degree. He doesn't want to be here for a sixth year. So we don't know what's going to happen with some of those seniors, but I think they are sufficiently stacked at safety, especially if Reggie Pearson is able to come back in 2022. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to 2021, I guess. I don't even know what year it is. Right. 
you talked about a guy not wanting to come back for a sixth year. There is a guy that apparently wants to come back for a sixth year and is going to try and come back for a sixth year, and that is John Dietzen, the uh, a guard who started or a assistant offensive lineman that started 32 games for Wisconsin prior to the 2019 season. Uh, he decided to hang him up because he had the, he had just a ton of injuries battling through him and uh, you know stepping in and playing left tackle in 2018. You know he was he was a fighter. He was a battler, and, and uh, Joe Rudolph, the offensive line coach, talked about that often. So he uh, took last spring off, like he was giving up football. And by the fall, he was starting to feel pretty good and uh, started talking with Wisconsin about potentially coming back. And uh, so it's kind of, this has kind of been a year in the making. And the more and further and further along he got in terms of his body feeling good, the more and more he wanted to play football. And uh, so he was added back in, and they're going to try and take advantage of his sixth year and it's uh that's a big ad back in a guy who started that many games. No, you know we'll see where he's at physically. We don't know. Paul Chris doesn't know how uh, where he's at physically. We haven't put the pads on. You don't know how he's going to feel after a day or two <laughs> of playing football. But he's back, and that's a huge, huge addition to a uh, you know a position that was actually already pretty good. If nothing else, you get a guy who's got a ton of experience who. If he can't, if he isn't physically ready to go, is still a guy in that locker room that people will listen to. He's he started 32 games. He's got 20 starts at left guard and 12 at left tackle. And you're right, Wisconsin was already stacked on the offensive line. They had five guys coming back that had starting experience last season. But this makes it even more interesting, assuming that Dietzen gets back to the level that he could play at when he was at his best. Cole Van Lannen pretty clearly has the starting left tackle spot locked up and was essentially a starter a couple of years ago when Dietzen got the starts. Van Lannan earned the majority of the snaps, and part of that was because Dietzen just physically wasn't able to go for a whole year. But now you've got some competition at guard. Josh Seltzer, to me, is, is the one who I think would be in position to lose snaps, lose reps, just because, you know, when Joe Rudolph talked about his offensive line projection in the offseason – he had Cole Van Lannan at left tackle, Seltzner at left guard. If Caden Lyles is healthy, he'd be at center. And then Logan Russ at right guard and Tyler Beach at right tackle. So that's that's where Dietzen's at on the left side of the field. So I think it's good to have a rotation, good to keep guys fresh. And you've still got that young crop of offensive linemen waiting in the wings. You know, Michael Furtney is another rotational piece at guard. And four- and five-star guys just – the, might not even get a ton of snaps. It's it says a lot about where Wisconsin's at as an offensive line. Yeah, no. So it is. Uh, it, it definitely is an interesting situation there. The thing about guys trying to come back from injury, we've we've seen other guys try to do this, right? You know, Xander Neville came back last year, was trying to go for a six year, and it just didn't work. Now he had significant injuries that he just could not come back from, and it would it was he would come back and he would get hurt again, like he just he couldn't do it. Dietzen, you know, he had his share of different injuries, but it was never something that was like season ending for him. Like he would always just try and play through it. So I, maybe it's a little bit different situation with him than, than it was for, for a guy like Xander Neville. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, he was able to tough out the 2018 season. And so if he, if he feels good enough to come back with, with, with Xander, I mean, an ACL injury, because uh, didn't he have several of those? <laughs> he had one in each knee, right? Xander that that basically automatically knocks you out for a year and so it's it to me it would seem to be different degrees of injury that we're dealing with and I don't think Dietzen would try to do this if he didn't think he'd be able to get to that point because just the physical wear and tear of playing that position 
is, is a lot. So maybe with a year off, he can get back to the level that he was at before, but how good can this O line potentially be if, if he's in the mix and you've now got six guys with starting experience, you got Logan Brown, who's potentially the backup left tackle, Joe Titman, who's another four-star guy who can either be a center or a right tackle. And that the, and then you've got the five incoming freshmen, two of whom are the four-star guys with, with Jack Nelson and Trey Wedig, uh, who is a big boy on the roster. I guess I'm not surprised, but, man, they got some bulk up front. They do. They have a few fewer 300-pound guys than they did last year, but it's still a, a very big group. And we'll see. You know, if John Dietzen is healthy, and, I, I, again, I think it's one thing to be healthy, and it's one thing to be healthy after – playing football for a few days, you know, like your body feeling good because you're not on the field having to bang against guys. And I, I think that may be the biggest thing that he has to overcome. Uh, a couple other roster things. There were a couple other guys that were on the, were on the spring roster that were not uh, on the fall roster among them. The Emmett Perry saga has finally ended after, <laughs> uh, after three years of uh, will he, or won't he, I know that there were some, not excitement, but you know, that the, the they wanted to see him be stay on the field. He just couldn't do it. Uh, the wide receiver out of Texas, he just couldn't stay on. Very similar to Cade Green in that respect. Another guy who was on the spring roster but uh, is not on the fall roster. Both of those guys came in in the same class, and it just it just never clicked. Yeah, to me, it doesn't necessarily change what our expectations are for the group because I I don't know that we were no. I wasn't really no. including him in. Well, who could be in the two deep? Who could make a significant impact? And a lot of that obviously had to do with his lack of impact to this point. But yeah, I mean, it's it's always disappointing when you get a guy and you use a scholarship on him and it never comes to fruition. But that's what's going to happen when you've got 85 guys on scholarship. And I think Wisconsin is still in a good spot, even though they don't have any scholarship players in that class right. because of how many young guys they've got. They, they obviously still have Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. They got Jack Dunn and Adam Crumholtz, uh, who've been you know, walk-ons for a long time. And then it's that younger group is who's going to take the next step. Is it Taj Mustafa and AJ Abbott, which to me seem like the most obvious candidates, but Chimray DK and, and Stefan Bracey are the two that I, those are the two that they wouldn't surprise me if they broke into the two deep based on what the coaching staff has said to this point. And Rudolph even said that with Bracey, there were points last season during his redshirt year and he didn't play at all. Uh, where they really thought about getting him in some games because he was at that level. And he's obviously got some speed. He's a, he's a smaller guy, but he can play on the outside. And Shimre DK, probably one of the more versatile wide receiver prospects that they've had come in here in the last couple classes. So I think Wisconsin is going to be okay at wide receiver. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, with the, the other thing uh, on the roster that stood out was the moving of Jalen Franklin from outside linebacker to tight end. And it is, you know, I think it's a significant move because I think a lot of us thought that Jalen Franklin was going to be in the mix for uh, time at outside linebacker. He moves over to tight end, a position that uh, Paul Chris said that they recruited him for. You know, they think he can play either spot. But what Paul Chris said about the move was he thinks he gives them something at that position that they don't necessarily have. And that, to me, would suggest maybe some added athleticism to the, to the position, maybe some uh, speed, maybe what you're not getting from perhaps a Hayden Rucci or from a Clay Cundiff or a Cam Large that Jalen Franklin can bring. I think at, I think he's weighing like 228, something like that. So maybe a little bit more of the uh, receiving uh, type of uh, guy than, than perhaps some of those other guys at the position currently. I think that's fair because it's different body types. Rucci 
comes in and he's listed at 250 pounds and Cundiff's listed at 251 pounds. So they've got some pass catching skills, no doubt about it. They put up numbers in high school, but different builds. And, and Franklin, he is that athletic type of guy. And he actually played, I'm trying to remember, he was a quarterback his senior year in high school. So he's, he's definitely got a lot of a- athleticism and versatility. And, and I think it says something about what they want to get out of the tight end group. We know that Wisconsin in the past, in a good year, if they're able to play consistently three tight ends, that's great news. They obviously didn't have that luxury last year. You've still got Jake Ferguson, who's one of the best in the Big Ten. And I think Cundiff and Rucci are going to battle potentially for, I don't even know if I'd call it the two spot now. that If, if they're moving Jalen Franklin, I don't think they make that move unless they think he's going to impact the group. You still have those young freshmen coming in. And I'm also really interested to see what that means for the outside linebacker group because I thought Franklin was going to be a two deep guy. I thought if Isaiah Green may puts on the weight, which he has obviously now, and I'm sure we'll discuss that he's a starter. And then it's Spencer Lytle and Jalen Franklin in my mind, who are the, the next two guys in the mix. But if you don't have Franklin, does that mean that they think Nick Herbig as a true freshman is ready to come in and, and play right away? I mean, I think that would be pretty significant and they've got a number of other guys too, you know, CJ gets Caden Johnson and Aaron Witt are, are the freshmen coming in. I don't know how ready they would be, but, Look physically. To me, I, look, yeah, at physically I, look, look, look at them physically, though. Like, look at the just like the weight, the height, and weights on those two guys. Sure. I mean, they they seem ready, but someone's got to step into that role. So, I, I, I mean, maybe it's Herb, Herbig and Lytle. To me, is such an intriguing combination uh, as young guys who could have gone anywhere in the country. That that's very exciting. Yeah, I don't think they make the move unless they felt good about the three guys or the four guys that that could potentially be on the opposite of Noah Burks and the Isaiah Green May one is is kind of where it's at for me because you look at – we talked about this last week, right, when, uh, or two weeks ago when we did this. You had him, what, 230 – excuse me, he was at 213 in, in the spring. Is that right? I'd have to go back and look, but he somehow managed to lose weight between the end of last season and what the spring roster was, which didn't make any sense because he was struggling to put on weight even then. Yeah, no, he was at – so he went up. Uh, excuse me. He went up seventeen from two thirty-two. So what is that's two fifteen. So he was at yeah. he was at two fifteen in the spring after being at like two twenty-one last fall. That uh, wasn't going to get it done. And we were both like, well, "Is he ever going to be able to put on the weight?" He's been able to put on the weight. He's up to two thirty-two now. That's plenty to 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 be an outside linebacker and be able to hold up against the run and still be that athletic freak that he is. And it'll be interesting to see whether he can keep that on because I remember talking to him in fall camp last year when he was kind of one of the standouts of that group. It was clear, at least out of camp, that he was going to be a starter. And he did for the first game until he had that thumb injury. He was talking about how challenging it was to maintain weight. He was fluctuating between 221 and 227. So he he may have started camp at 227, but he had already dropped down to 223 or something like that. It. With his body type, I think that's something that could just be a constant struggle with him, and it's something to monitor, but it is huge news because I think he provides a lot of versatility. Uh, And his length, it's the length and athleticism, which we've seen in practices before, of his ability to disrupt the passer that adds a a pretty significant dynamic. So if you can pencil him in with Noah Burks, then Wisconsin's got a really good duo there to start off with. Yeah, start off, and then you, you mentioned the other guys that they have potentially that can step in. So, again, we'll see how it plays out. So, I, those are my big takeaways from the roster. Where, where were yours? I think we pretty much covered them, and we've been waiting forever for a new roster to come out. It's, 
it, it feels like is it <laughs> is it like Christmas Day for Wisconsin football almost? There's just been no activity whatsoever forever. They never even had spring practice, so we got a roster, and it was like a tease because it didn't matter because we didn't get to see him. So, no, though I think we coming back. It's not having Reggie Pearson. It's the the weight gain from Isaiah Green May, and I wish we could see up close how things are going to play out. But I suppose we just won't know until October 24th when the season opener arrives at home against Illinois. I, so when we, uh, when we talked or no, you were doing a story, I think maybe it was in May or June and you asked me to send you the rosters. Like the, yes. Right. So, uh, so when I moved in August, I lost the rosters. And so I had to go back to our text message and I found myself pulling up those images and then going picture by or person by person down the roster today trying to figure out the differences between the two it was ridiculous but it's also roster release day what are you going to do um so that was that was what i spent my morning doing and trying to figure out but uh also leo chanel gained weight my god he's he's like a greek god i don't i don't is he gonna bench press 225 pounds 60 times by the time he's done with his career you know when he goes to the combine that's what he's going to do right i mean like that and I and I I feel confident about him going to the combine. Like I, I mean, I think he's going to be that type of player. I think he's got that kind of skill. But yeah, he's up to two fifty five now. Just insane. Oh, you know what? Maybe we should talk about uh, a couple of more of those those weight gains and those weight losses. I'm I want to mention one guy, Logan Brown. Uh, instead of going perhaps up after his fresh mirror, he's down to three hundred pounds. Maybe that's just to, uh, maybe it's better weight now than it, than it was. Um, but three hundred pounds. Colvin Landon's 305, so it's like, I mean, you don't necessarily have to be that much that much bigger. Maybe you need to have a little bit more athleticism on the edge there uh, to, to deal with some of the rushers that you're going to face. But I feel like the left tackle spot of Wisconsin's gotten smaller in recent years than, than, uh, than bigger. We even, even John Dietzen lost weight to play the spot uh, in 2018. Maybe it's just wanting to have a little bit more speed and versatility off the edge, especially when you're dealing with some of the guys that you have to deal with. Hello, Chase Young, who's not there anymore thankfully for the Badgers, but uh, Logan Brown is the guy I'm most interested to see on the offensive line, just because of everything we've known about him, the, the five-star, the fact that he was injured last year and we never got to see him. And, and Joe Rudolph was very confident this offseason in his ability. And he felt like he was starting to get it when he'd be asked to talk about things on the board and just the opportunity to get back into playing shape. And so maybe that this has more to do with that because there's a lot of inactivity from him. But we know the talent is there, and we know that it would seem he's the future of the left tackle spot after Cole Van Lannan is done. So how many reps will he get, and how well will he play if he can stay healthy? I'm very interested to see what he's able to do. Well, here's the un- unknown thing that and we won't get to see practice, so we definitely won't know, is who is missing right now, who is not practicing, and, and whose reps are getting filled in that spot. Like, it, you know, could potentially – you could have uh, a starter not be there for the first week and a half, and, and a guy like Logan Brown or whoever it is will get those reps and, and fill in, and maybe even you know show enough to to be like, yeah, he deserves playing time because not not necessarily left tackle. Again, those are all I'm just making a generalization here. He deserves playing time based on or his what he showed while filling in for another guy. We'll see if that that ends up playing out. And another noteworthy thing, Julius Davis up to 196, so he's up into the high 190s. His game at Menominee Falls, there was a lot of power to it, 
And I think uh, the added weight here certainly would suggest that he's getting back to, to perhaps being that kind of guy. His high school highlights are as good as any running back that, that I can remember seeing from, from Wisconsin coming in. And um, yeah, he had, it was like, it was the combination of brute strength with athleticism and also the speed to get away from guys. And granted, we're, we're not talking about he's running against linebackers from Ohio state, but he's just another one of those guys who's very intriguing at the running back position. And that's something we're going to not know until the season opener either is, is how, how does that stack up? Um, you know, does Nakia Watson, the number one guy. And if he is, who gets the, the second most snaps, Julius Davis, clearly in that mix. Isaac Arendo too, and Jalen Berger and, and Garrett Groshek as well. So I don't know what's going to happen, but they appear to be pretty well uh, loaded at, at running back in the, in the classes to come here. Do you remember the last running back that was over six foot tall that played significant, got significant snaps at Wisconsin as a running back? Because that's what, that's what Jalen Berger is. Jalen Berger is listed at six foot, six foot yeah. ten. I don't. You, I'm assuming you have the answer. No, I don't. I'm. I'm. I. I should have. I should have thought about it before this. I'm thinking. Uh, and the only reason I may even remember this name is because I saw him playing uh, Carlos Daniels. But I don't think that's it. I think Jamil Walker, uh, the former strength coach at Wisconsin, was also a running back, uh, afraid to fly, and um, back. He like he he was literally afraid of flying. Like he like the first flight out to Arizona his freshman year apparently was a terror ride. Um, and mm-hmm. so, but he, I'm pretty sure he was over six foot, but like, I'm, I, I don't think, I don't think there's any, there was, there's any other guy that was over that tall that ended up playing significant minutes at running or significant snaps at running back. I don't think, Berger, I'm not saying that, look, they could have put him at five eleven and we wouldn't have known the difference, but like six foot two ten, that, that kind of stands out a little bit to me. Yeah. And it, the interesting thing about him is his skill set isn't, you think big running back, you think a bruiser who runs between the tackles, and that is not – I mean, he can do that, but the thing that I think separates him from everybody else is the versatility that he has. If you look at his high school highlights, almost all of his runs came on the edge. They like to get him out on sweeps. He was a tremendous pass catcher. Like, I, I think he – of this group, and Isaac Arendo came in as a wide receiver, but I think Berger could be utilized the most as a pass catcher from that younger group. And so it's, I, it's just a huge recruiting get to get a guy like Jalen Berger in that class. So I, I think he's going to have an opportunity to contribute right away, but Davis and, and Garendo are, are certainly going to be in the mix as well. You know what? I'm an idiot. I, I'm an idiot. Melvin Gordon was over six foot. There you go. Uh, now we spent the last five minutes talking about a bunch of BS and Melvin Gordon was over six feet. So yeah, either way, he he is that he is that type of body type. Melvin was six one two fifteen uh, as a pro, six foot two ten. I don't know. We'll see. And and you know Melvin did a lot of his damage on the outside early in his career before starting to run through the tackles as a you know you know redshirt sophomore and, and as a junior. But uh, that that from uh, the uh, the roster uh, were the things that stood out. Want to talk about the schedule a little bit? Lots of news here in the last week. There has been. There was the schedule got released last Saturday in a hours. I mean, I had to watch that hour special. I could do without having listened to Urban Meyer ever again. Uh, plus Reggie Bush and all the rest of them. Either way, that's re- irrelevant to the schedule itself. But man, did they get after Nebraska? Did the Big Ten get after Nebraska? 
at Ohio State, home to Wisconsin, at Northwestern, home to Penn State. And as you would imagine, because it's something that they self-described have become very good at, they whined. <laughs> uh, Bill Moose, the athletic director, whined. He said that they deserved a break to get back on track at the Big Ten West. They deserved a break. And he said that every single one of his suggestions got shot down in the scheduling committee, and they all are blaming Barry Alvarez for it uh, as if he had some, some kind of maniacal control over when the guys were playing. Never mind the fact that they were playing Ohio State already and they were playing Penn State already. They were just on their schedule. It, it was unfor- it's, I mean, it sucks that they got put where they were, but it is what it is. Um, I mean, they got a break a little bit with the Wisconsin game being in Nebraska as opposed to being in Madison, which is when it, when it should have been. But did Nebraska get screwed, Jesse? I don't know. I, this is like the least, uh, most non-issue issue in my mind because I just, I don't care. Champion of cleaners. But my thing is, if you were a consistently good football team, then it wouldn't matter who you played. This is, uh, how far have you just, fallen? How far have you fallen that you can't that you're going to complain about having to play certain teams? Come I, I, on, Bill Moose. Right. You're Nebraska. <laughs> I understand that it it could have been different, but you don't hear Wisconsin complaining when they had Ohio State and Michigan back to back. They lost those games and they managed to win all the others and get into the Big Ten championship game. To me, it's much ado about nothing because it's like get back to me when you're relevant in the Big Ten West. I mean, smack them. Go beat Ohio State or go beat Wisconsin in week two when you have a home game. Right. No, it's uh, it, it's ridiculous, and uh, they got called out for it. And as we talked about before, I I know people want to give them credit. People want to give Ohio State credit for getting the Big Ten back. And I and while I think behind the scenes, the the doctor from Ohio State probably played as big a role as anybody getting Big Ten football back. But if you think Paul Crest and Barry Alvarez didn't want to play football and they weren't fighting behind the scenes and doing things the way that they feel needed to be done as opposed to calling the conference out, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, give, give people – give more than just Nebraska and Ohio State credit for Big Ten – for the Big Ten being back. It, it was a lot of people behind the scenes fighting to make it happen. Either way, the schedule itself for Wisconsin, again, to open the season against a team – that uh, gave them their worst loss last year. I mean, the the upset loss down at Illinois, a game that they had won. If if Jonathan Taylor holds on to the football, they have won. That game is over. Uh, but they get a little bit of revenge. They got they got the uh, field stormed on them last year, and now they get to face them in day, in uh, game one. And you know, I I think it was like within five minutes after the uh, schedule being announced, the beat Illinois thing up in their locker room was already going. Uh, the countdown to to October twenty fourth. This will be the most interesting season opener that I can remember solely for the fact that we have no idea what's going on. We just have to take the word of the coaches and players that we talk to on zoom calls in every other year, because we have access to fall camp, you and I have been able to lay out pretty well, who's going to play where, what the position changes are, who's injured, all those things. We have no idea. So I don't know who's going to trot out there in the starting 11 on each side or I don't, are they going to have a punter? Maybe they'll figure that out. But between now and then, cause that's, that's a big question I have too, but I think the schedule sets up really well for Wisconsin. The, the four home games, all winnable, obviously. It's Illinois. They've got Purdue at home. They've got Minnesota, which of the home games is the most interesting. And then you've got Indiana now on December 5th. And the thing that I think will make this season even more intriguing is that some of those road venues that have been challenging, Michigan and Iowa, 
there's no, there's not going to be people there. They, the, the, the way that the atmosphere sets up in college football that makes it so challenging for a road team is not going to be there in the same way. So if you've got four winnable games at home and, and your toughest games happen to be on the road and there isn't that edge for the other team, maybe it gives Wisconsin an advantage. I, I would not be surprised if the Badgers go 8-0 with this schedule or 7-1. and That's kind of the way I'm looking at it based on the talent that Wisconsin has coming back. Wisconsin also doesn't have the home field advantage either, uh, right? So no. They're, they're like not – so when Minnesota comes here, you don't have it. Essentially, says the the one game that would probably be have people excited. Like if you're gonna miss, if you're not gonna have fans in the stands for a single season, this is the the home schedule to do it because there's not a single game maybe outside of Minnesota that I'd actually want to go to if I were a fan. <laughs> you know? What yeah, I, mean? I think that's a good way to put it. You know, so yeah, it, it, if you're going to miss one, this this would be it. But the Illinois game, I, I just I think the idea of having that game, it focuses you so quickly. Like, and I'm not saying it, it, they wouldn't be focused otherwise, but if it's Indiana or if it's Purdue or if it's, you know, insert Rutgers, and like if it's Rutgers, if the Rutgers had been on their schedule, like it would have been, I think it would have been different. The fact that what happened last October down there probably focuses them up a little bit. Oh, I, I would have to think so. And it, they would be anyway, because it's been the longest off season of everyone's lives. Right. But certainly the guys who are coming back that played in that game or on the sideline are going to remember it it was the most head-scratching, stunning loss I can remember in a long time because, as you said, they, they had the game won. If Jonathan Taylor hangs on to the football, the game's over. If Jack Cohn doesn't throw that interception, uh, if, the, if the defense doesn't give up as many big plays as it did for touchdowns, and obviously the, the field goal at the end, then Wisconsin's in a different position going into that Ohio State game. So I think clearly that's, that's probably going to be on these guys' minds. But really, I, I think it'll more be about – that opportunity to, to get a season and probably an appreciation that this even is exists. And if, if you're, if you're on this team, you have to know how good you can potentially be because of how much talent there is. These guys aren't stupid. The, I think they probably see a path to an eight, no season, even if they're not going to talk about that outwardly. So it's a good opportunity for them to get started and show how good they can be. So I asked for questions today about the, you know, trying to get some questions from, Listeners, and we got, we got a few, so we'll go into those uh, quickly here. Brendan asks, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but uh, I don't think I asked this specifically. He asked, does the Jalen Franklin position change reflect more poorly on tight end depth or more positively on the outside linebacker talent slash depth? Can it be both? I think it says a lot about how good they feel about the other outside linebackers because you don't, in my mind, you don't take a guy out who's going to be in the too deep if you don't think he's going to, if you don't think you have enough talent there to replace him, and if you don't think he's going to get significant snaps at tight end. So I, I think it just helps with the depth at, at, at tight end because you, you've got a lot of young guys who have never played a snap. You, you look at the rest of the tight ends other than Jake Ferguson, especially the scholarship tight ends, Clay Cundiff played four snaps last season. That's it. Hayden Ritchie, redshirted, Cam Large, Koldakovich, incoming freshman, and you've got Gabe Lloyd and Jack Eskenbach, who I think could be contributors, but – there's a lot of question marks there. So if Wisconsin feels strongly about Franklin, then I, I think he's going to play. It's both. Can it be both? <laughs> it can be both. It definitely can be both. And I would uh, agree with you. They wanted a different type of body at, at tight end that they didn't have. And Jalen Franklin provided that. And they were able to provide that to the tight end death because they had the ability. They had the guys at outside linebacker that they like. I mean, I, I, I think it certainly can be both. Bill asks, uh, does Rodas Johnson's weight loss indicate he will play 
more defensive end versus nose tackle. Uh, Rodas Johnson down to 278 pounds. It's 13 pounds less than he was in the spring. Um, has been listed as a defensive end, and I, I kind of I've always kind of projected him to that spot anyway. Yeah, I, I did too. And Jim Leonard said this offseason that um, I was asking about the, the nose guard depth. And obviously, you've got your top two here with Keanu Benton and Bryson Williams. But the third guy was Gio Paez. I mean, so yeah, it, Rodas Johnson was going to be a defensive end. So th- this isn't, that's not major news to me. And they're, they're pretty well set at, at nose guard, even though coming in, Johnson could have potentially been a nose guard, obviously, and okay, Brechterfield sees Piaz as a better fit there, at least at this stage, but it doesn't mean they can't change their plans moving forward. Right, and he's not the only one that dropped weight at the defensive end spot. Isaiah Loudermoke down 10 pounds from the spring as well. He's down to uh, 287, so he was up at 297. Bill kind of asked a follow-up question regarding that. Do you think it's to get a little bit perhaps more explosiveness and perhaps help with the pass rush a little bit from the defensive end spot, which has not been in this defense notorious for getting after the quarterback. I think Alec James would be the lone exception to that in terms of, uh, you know, getting sacks. I think he had the most sacks of any uh, defensive end in this 3-4 defense. I think he had like five and a half or six his senior year. I do think that's what it would be about. He's a big dude. He's 6-7. That's a lot of weight to be lugging around. And if you want to get a little more quickness, then the way to do that is to drop a little bit of weight. And you got to do it without sacrificing the physicality that you have. So, that was another one of those roster numbers where you look at the weights that you kind of raise your eyebrows. So that's, yeah, that's what I would think too. Yeah. Cole asks, um, when will the athletic department start using the new testing methods? And do you know if the rest of UW will be employing the antigen test as well? I do not know the answers to that, but I think that's part of the plan of with, with the big 10 coming back is that, people will be tested daily for football, right? Because that was the really the only way to make sure that this was going to go off. And that was the biggest reason that the big 10 decided to shut down back in August is that they didn't feel they had the testing means necessary to do this safely. So in terms of everybody else, I'm not sure I have the answer to that. Do you Zach? I don't like, you mean in terms of like UW, like other teams, I, this, this sounds like this is going to be the big 10 paying for these daily tests to get them back we've already seen that all these spring championships or pretty much all the fall sports that were going to be moved to spring are staying in the spring, you know, in terms of we'll see what happens with basketball. I would assume that they were going to have to do similar stuff, but that has, I, I think that they're still working on that. I think there's a different committee within the big 10 that's working on that. Um, in terms of when this stuff is going to start, they're continuing to do the testing that they've always done. Uh, but the, the new stuff is going to start or has to start by September 30th. That's the day that the Big Ten put it in place. And that, that's in terms of the daily testing. And obviously, this is all in an effort, as Barry Alvarez said a month ago or a month and a half ago when they, when they closed things out, to give them a clean field. And that's what the antigen test is designed to do is to, you know, get it before it's even potentially contagious. So, We'll see. September 30th is, is the day that it has to be done, it has to be in place. And we talked about this in the last episode, but even when you take all these safety precautions, there's no guarantee that they're going to get all eight games. You look at, I think Houston's football team is a really good example of this. What have they had, like five games canceled now? They've had their, and, home, they've had their opener canceled like four or five times. Yeah, it's it's insane. So, I just this is just a complete wild card of a season for me and really for all of us because Wisconsin can do everything right and not get to play all eight games because something happened with the other team or or all it takes is 
that, that, this is another thing, and Paul Christ referenced this as well, right, today, about some of these guys have been in quarantine for 42 days because there have been three different instances in which they had to do contact tracing, and we know that with the protocols in place now, you miss 21 days of a season if you test, if you positive. test positive. If you test positive, right. So, you know, if, even it's either if you test positive or if you have to quarantine, it can completely wreck a season for players and for a team and you can fall below a threshold where you don't even have enough guys to, to play that week. So that's maybe a little bit of a tangent, but I do think it's relevant because I think it's something we're going to see throughout this season in the Big Ten. Yeah, for sure. South Jersey Pete, he asks, um, what other receivers are the mix other than the seniors? I want to ask from you, and we, we kind of talked about it before, which of the, uh, which of the young guys, the, the four non the, not the seniors, but the other guys, of the, of the other guys, which one do you think steps up? I'm going to pick A.J. Abbott just because of what the coaches have said about him, what he has done in practices that we have seen, and that this is the time for him to take that next step, at least in my mind. The, the other two that I mentioned earlier, Stefan Bracey and Chimray DK, even though we haven't had an opportunity to see DK, or really Bracey, I'm going to go with Abbott. Uh, and that's not to say Taj Mustafa can't also be that guy, but I, that's just the feeling I get, at least at this stage. There are so many opportunities available for all those guys, though, considering the amount of targets that are no longer on this team, whether it's Quintez Cephas or A.J. Taylor. There are opportunities, and obviously the first ones will go to Kendrick Pryor and to Danny Davis, who's sporting a new number this fall. He's going to be number seven uh, with Bradrick Shaw leaving. He's going to switch over from number six to number seven. And, and then, you know, Adam Krumholtz and, and Jack Dunn. But there are a lot of other opportunities for guys to step in and step up, and they'll have their chances. Uh, Wisco Inferno asks, is in a wacky year of sports, is this the year that Wisconsin takes down Ohio State? That would assume that they would meet the Big Ten Championship game or perhaps the 2v2 game or the 3v3? Um, maybe. Maybe all the Ohio State guys. <laughs> well, I don't know. Because, guys, the thing is, Wisconsin had a better chance when everybody opted out. But now people are opting back in, and I think that makes it significantly more difficult. I, I, I've said all along I thought Wisconsin was uniquely positioned to succeed through this because – they wouldn't have a bunch of guys opt out and go to the NFL because they just – that's not the makeup of this current roster. You had seniors who weren't at a level where they were definitively a first-round pick, for example, right? So if you're not at that level, you want to put more on tape, like a Cole Van Lannan. You had those juniors like Sanborn and, and Ferguson who weren't at the level where they knew they were going to be drafted. But now I think this makes it uh, a little more challenging. I don't know. I mean, Wisconsin's been right there. So I'm not going to rule it out. They, they were up by a couple touchdowns in the Big Ten Championship game last season. If I had to pick one, I'm going to pick Ohio State until somebody can beat the Buckeyes. But it's not, that's not just a Badgers problem. That's a Big Ten problem. And we'll close, we'll close with this one. Uh, Brian says, uh, chances at ever having bowl games this year, question mark. And then with fans, two question marks. No fans. <laughs> I mean, I that – that, I think it depends where the game is because we're already seeing – well, maybe it won't with the Big Ten. Maybe, you know, maybe they'll say we're only going to send our team if there's not going to be any fans there. But, like, certain places we've seen already, whether it be yeah. Louisville or Florida State or uh, Kansas, Texas, there's going to be fans. That, there's going to be uh, at least some fans there. I guess I was thinking more about fans at Camp Randall Stadium. Oh, I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're a Badgers fan and you want to see them in person – not happening. Nope. <laughs> you got to get that, that TV ready. Um, 
Well, here's the thing. In, in your mind, do you think it was something that the chancellors and presidents are like, okay, we're going to bring this back, but here are our conditions, and one of them has to be no fans in the stands? Because Nebraska wants fans. Penn, uh, Ohio State, I mean, there's, Cleveland's going to start allowing, is allowing, allowing fans in to, the, to their stadium. I assume Ohio State probably would have as well. Uh, other places within the Big Ten, Indiana perhaps, would have let fans in, Penn State. Do you think that that was some kind of a sign-off, like this is the only way we're going to do it? And I, and I, I think it – well, I think it had to be part of the discussion, right? Because from an athletic department standpoint, obviously safety is paramount. But if you felt you could do it safely and bring fans in, that is a significant revenue resource. And so is the fact that there's going to be a football season. Wisconsin's still going to be in the hole financially, but it goes from $100 million to what they projected, 60 to $70 million. That have, would have been even – They have not changed. They've now changed that. Yeah. So, so like uh, season ticket holders were getting, when they were getting their refunds, were getting, you know, can you please give them money to the Badger Legacy campaign? We're down $100 million in, short, in revenue shortfall. That was, I believe, September 8th. And then emails this week started coming saying 60 to 70 million. So they're back down to projecting that 60 to 70 million, which obviously has a lot to do with uh, the TV money. But go right. ahead. Well, I'm, I was just saying, I, you're right. I think all of these athletic departments would have wanted to have a certain percentage of fans. And, and Gene Smith, the athletic director from Ohio State, talked about it much earlier about the, the capacity that they felt they could have a certain percentage. What was it, twenty or 30,000 fans potentially? That adds up over the course of even if it's four games, it's something. So maybe it was a concession. But in terms of the question about bowl games, I mean, they're having a schedule with – the aim to play a conference championship game. So there's the college football playoff committee. That's going to make its decision the day after the big 10 championship game. There's a lot of money at stake. And I guess I would, I would wonder if you feel confident enough to have playoff games, then wouldn't you be able to set up a bowl game? Cause there, there's a lot of money at stake and I'm sure you can make the claims about it's a reward for the players and all that. If you can make it through a regular season safely, then I, I think that they, would figure out a way to have some type of postseason for all these teams. And the amount of money that comes out of those New Year's Six games, too. Uh, exactly. Right? And so we'll see. Wisconsin uh, has eight games. I still think it's unlikely they end up playing all of them. It just seems, based on what we've seen so far, with cancellations in some places, it seems tough. Even though, even the great Notre Dame had to had to cancel or postpone a game uh, this weekend due to that. So, We'll see, uh, but at least we have football to talk about, a lot of football to talk about coming up here over the next few weeks as we get uh, into uh, the season, October 24th against Illinois. Jesse, thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Zach. Looking forward to it. There he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.